So last week, I noticed, you'll notice that I said it was a special day to be in the house of the Lord. I mentioned that it was an incredibly special day, and it was special because the Lord had woke us up and brought us to His house to worship, to worship Him. And the same is today, very special day today. And I mentioned how every day that we gather with the saints of the Lord is a special day. In fact, it is not to be squandered, and it is not to be neglected. The words of David, King David, reverberate as he writes in Psalm 122 and verse 1. that He said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I hope this morning for you getting up and getting ready to come to the house of the Lord. I hope that that was your desire, that you were glad to go to the house of the Lord today. Because this is a very special day. Historically, this day would have been set aside for the early church to be memorialized forever as the first day of the week, the day that the Lord Jesus rose again. Today is a special day as we celebrate our mothers. As we celebrate the women in this church, the women in our lives who have helped shape us. Thank God for the women of Piney Grove. Another special day, April 25th, 2021. My mother, who has been saved for 40 years, followed through with believer's baptism. 40 years. So I'm thankful that I grew up in a home that, I, that heard the word and brought us to worship, to sit under the word, so that one day I would hear the gospel, my heart would be pricked, I would know that it is truth, and surrender my life to Jesus Christ as my Lord, and give him my sins, and he would take my sins upon himself. Thinking about dates, April the 15th, 1912. Now you might not specifically know that, that date. April 15th, 1912. But if I was to say to you that this was a date that was forever memorialized in history as a tragic day. In fact, if I was to go on and say in the early hours of April the 15th, 1912, the SS Titanic struck an iceberg, leading to more than 1,500 deaths, passengers and crew. Edward J. Smith, who's the captain, probably one of the most known captains, if you will, the captain of the Titanic refused to believe that his ship was in danger until they were ankle deep in water. It was only then that it was obvious that this massive ship was punctured. The hull was punctured by an iceberg and now this quote-unquote unsinkable ship was going to sink. It was because of the captain's failure to acknowledge the peril that lifeboats were called a little too late. 
resulting in the death of 1,500 people. 1,517 people died on the SS Titanic. Bruce Ismay was famously known for saying that God himself could not sink this ship. But an iceberg would do. Human pride and human arrogance led to the death of 1,500 people. And my friends, this is a lesson here applied to our spiritual life in Jesus. A lesson to recognize those things that can bring destruction and then have the foresight enough to not be blindsided by the enemy. We have an enemy, and his name is Satan. And he wants nothing more but then to damage your testimony for Jesus, or to keep you from following him, or to do damage and destruction in the church. At the end of the message today, I am going to share with you eight factors that will harm the local church, that will kill the local church. And you might say, well, the church of the living God will go on forever and ever, and that I do agree with. In fact, as Peter is addressed by Jesus, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Amen? But the reality is, is that are, there are local churches today, if not thousands, who have closed their doors because they have been blindsided by the enemy. And so they end up squabbling about things of the color of the carpet or the paint on the wall, things that are non-essentials. And so at the end of the service, I'm going to... I'm going to issue eight factors that will harm the local church. Today's sermon, we're going to be introduced afresh to one blind Bartimaeus, as I read in the reading. And although I'm going to give you a few character traits of Bartimaeus, the story, as you know and as you might realize, is not about blind Bartimaeus. It's about Jesus. And if I were to give you a character or a character study of blind Bartimaeus, it would be like this. Okay, you want a character sketch of Bartimaeus? Here it is. He was a sinner who needs saving. Jesus came along and healed him. And the evidence shows that he followed Jesus as a disciple. And by the way, every character we find in the Bible meets this criteria. They were a sinner. They need a Savior. In short, he was a sinner like me and like you and in need of salvation. But the one outstanding truth about blind Bartimaeus, there are some things that we can learn from blind Bartimaeus, and I'm going to share some of those things with you. In fact, I would go on to say that, that Bartimaeus was just as close to being a disciple as Peter was, who said, Thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. But I'm going to share some things about Bartimaeus. I think they are admirable. At the end, I would say that he is a picture of you and I, every person that has been born. Because the reality is, as Jesus walks by, it demonstrates this. Without Jesus, we remain in our sin and we remain in our blindness and we do things that blind people would do. Sometimes it blows my mind why Christ followers do some of the things they do. Even myself. And that's the reality of what the Bible supplies as truth. Sometimes we act like sinners and not saints. 
You know the Bible describes you, if you're in Jesus, the Bible says that you are a set-apart one, a holy one. We are, as Martin Luther would say, we are simultaneously justified and a sinner at the same time. See, I almost titled this sermon God's Great Mercy because it is because of this reality that Jesus walked by. He could have kept right on walking. Jesus would have been justified keeping on the same path to Jerusalem, but he didn't. He would be totally justified if he did not call you to himself. But praise the Lord that he called me and he called you. So I almost titled this God's Great Mercy because it is a demonstration of that mercy. Now I want to set the scene. Jesus, he, he had just put James and John in their place when, when they asked about sitting on the right hand or the left of Jesus. And the disciples even got in a bit of an uproar. Uh, I would imagine they wanted a place of power too. And they were indignant, it says, of, of these two who had asked for this place of prominent power. And Jesus had really put them in their place, teaching a lesson on humility in fact, Jesus' response were words that are forever elevated as truth, as verse 43 says, But it shall not be amongst you. Whoever would be great amongst you must be your servant, and whoever would be first amongst you must be slave to all. So this is the premise that is etched through the ages. It is stitched through the ages that the last shall be first. Humility. And so after Jesus teaches this lesson on humility... And on the truth of humility, verse 46 says, They came to Jerusalem, and he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, and a great caravan, a great crowd of people came around him, and there was a blind beggar by the name of Bartimaeus, which means in the Aramaic, son of Timaeus. This person had made such an impact. And by the way, Bartimaeus is mentioned in other places in the gospel, in 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 Luke, Mark, and Matthew, in Matthew it, it mentions two blind people. Okay, in Mark it focuses in on Bartimaeus because he made such an impact on the apostles. And because of his faith, he is, he is forever written in the canon of Scripture. Bartimaeus is forever found in the canon of Scripture as being faithful. So, Matthew, there's two accounts of this. In Luke, and of course, Mark focuses on, on one, Bartimaeus. And so, that being said, as Peter gave Mark the message that he wrote, it is of importance for the worshiper, that's you and me, by the way, to digest as spiritual truth. So what is the lesson taught here? What is the lesson that we learn from blind Bartimaeus? I would say to you, at the onset, to use what... You have to follow Jesus. Use what you have to follow Christ. Well, blind Bartimaeus couldn't see the, the Lord. He couldn't see Jesus of Nazareth, the son of David. So he heard the proclamation. You know how they say when a person loses one sense that they, their other ones are heightened? I believe this is blind Bartimaeus. That he, he had ears to hear, right? And when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Yeshua, meaning salvation, deliverance. 
The amazing thing here is the man recognized the name of Jesus. He had, all, he had been in Jericho doing some work there, a healing, I would imagine, teaching his doctrine, and the name of Jesus was famous there too. He no doubt heard the fame of the Lord, and it made him excited. When was the last time you got really excited about what Jesus has done for you? The problem is we get too busy to reflect upon the gospel. See, there, there's a great crowd of people who are continually, and, and the Bible says they, they continually cry out, Yeshua, Yeshua. And blind Bartimaeus calls out, no, Yeshua, son of David. And I, I can relate to this. I can relate to blind Bartimaeus just in this one simple phrase, this, this uh, proclamation alone. I can relate to this, can't you? I, I cannot tell you the times that I find myself asking for the Lord's mercy. Have mercy on me today, Lord. My temper was a little high. Today I was ill a little bit. Today somebody cut me off in traffic and I got a little bit of road rage. Lord, have mercy on me. And the list can go on and on. I find myself asking of God's mercy continually. And as the song says, without him I could do nothing. He calls him by son of David which is a name more associated with Messiah. Blind, blind Bartimaeus recognized the son of David as Messiah. Imagine his years of plight, sitting in the darkness, begging. I mean, he was probably known to, to be a beggar. In fact, he was. It, it was once said, long sitting in darkness may prepare one for welcoming of the light. In our griefs, in our hardships, in our struggles, we long and we seek for hope. We seek for relief. And blind Bartimaeus' relief and your relief and your hope is found in Messiah. I want you to notice the crowd's reaction, which I would also infer because the disciples are amongst this caravan. The disciples were in the lot. And many, it says, verse 48, rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, saying, Son of David, have mercy on me. I imagine blind Bart here. He had become a thorn in the flesh for many there in Jericho. I suspect as blind Bartimaeus cried out, Many in the crowds would have rolled their eyes as if to say, oh, here we go. Oh, blind Bart's at it again. We, we know that because the language that is used, not only does Bartimaeus continu continually cry out, in the Greek it's a continual crying out, but then it says that Bartimaeus continually cried out, son of David. But the crowd would continue to answer back at him in a rebuke. Think for a moment, around the world right now, the happenings in the world, globally. Think right now, the current events in the world, society that we live in, wants nothing more than to hush the name of Jesus from being proclaimed. It has been in the news for a few weeks now. In fact, I read an article Pastors are being arrested for their stance for the gospel. Now, I'm not talking about the compromising churches. 
who shy away from the gospel. I'm talking about people who stand and proclaim the word of God and the truth of what the word says. Pastors are being arrested, being threatened. I, I read an article this past week, a pastor in the United Kingdom who was arrested for simply teaching on marriage. Genesis 1, 26, 27, a simple message and was arrested there. And yet, here we are today in Western culture, in America, in Farm Life, North Carolina, proclaiming the Word of God. And if, if, if that would have happened three weeks or four weeks ago here, I would have been arrested for preaching on marriage and divorce. Don't think it won't happen to us here. He was simply expounding on Genesis 1.26 and he was arrested. See, when a person cries out for redemption, when a person cries out for hope, the world will rush in and say, here's a self-help book. The world will rush in and say, let the government help you. The world would rush in and say, you know, I, I got the perfect solution here. I got a psychiatrist that is right up your alley. When a person cries out for redemption, redemption and hope in the world today, the world often sh is short-sighted in the remedies that it offers, and the remedies never last. It is only in Jesus and His perfection and the work of the Holy Spirit that cleans us up will we ever find lasting remedy. The ungodly, worldly proposals that the eager soul hold their peace because it cannot accept the sinner's distress because they know they have no lasting remedy for the troubled soul. The world sets itself to expire and to hush these convictions. And then again, how dare we Hush the wearied soul when they seek refuge in the Lord. How dare we try and suppress someone's convictions when they want to serve the Lord? How dare we say you're too young to serve? Or how dare we say you're too old to serve Jesus? How dare we suppress one whose hope can be found in serving their king in whatever ministry it might be? Who are we and how dare we suppress a person when they are crying out to their Lord? Verse 49 says, And Jesus stopped and he said, Call him. And they called the blind man. He, he said, uh, they said to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. It's, it is an amazing thing to see the actions of these people. And it blows my mind to think that, that things haven't changed that much over the years Instead of encouraging the man to seek the Messiah, they wanted him to keep quiet. Instead of shouting, Son of David, thou would rather him and be satisfied if he said, Unclean like the lepers. They were totally content with this blind Bart staying in his broken state. And how foolish of us to do the same when we know that others around us are in peril and have lost hope. We would rather, listen, we would rather them go in their business as lost people than to suffer the uncomfortable notion of sharing our faith with people. For some of us, we would rather get a root canal than tell somebody about Jesus. I never had one, so I don't know. We would rather people go on their business and be lost 
than to deal with the uncomfortable notion of sharing my faith. And by the way, I've beat myself up over this too. See, with Jesus, what we see is something different. What we see is different. The cry of Bartimaeus stopped the merciful Savior, and he said, call him. Is it that the message that everyone who has ever been saved receives? <laughs> is it that the message he's calling you? Is it that the message that every evangelist should be proclaiming? Is it that the message that every expositor who has ever opened God's word and has exposited scripture, is it that the message that every preacher should be proclaiming? He's calling you today. Take heart, ye brokenhearted. Take heart to the one who is broken and in despair. He is calling you today. Jesus calls all kinds of people to himself, doesn't he? He calls the rich, he calls the poor, he calls the tall, he calls the thankfully short, he calls the white, the black, and every ethnicity across the globe. And he calls the blind and he calls the deaf unto himself. And yes, Jesus calls us out of our sin and he calls us out of our brokenness. And aren't you glad that he's done that for you? Called you out of your lostness. But I want you to tell you what he calls you out of and to. He calls us out of our brokenness and to holiness. That is a word today that is not used enough. He calls us out of our sin and to holiness. Now that doesn't mean that you're perfect in and of yourself. As Martin Luther again said, we are simultaneously a sinner and saved or redeemed at the same time or justified at the same time. So he calls us out of our brokenness and calls us to strive for perfection and holiness. And by the way, it's not just the, the pastors who, whose job it is to strive for holiness. It's not just the pastors or people who are in a prominent vocation of ministry. It is all of us who are in Christ without fail. One thing is for sure. Let me say this to you. One thing is for sure. When Jesus truly calls one and to himself, they will not stay the same. The Bible says you're a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, all becomes new. When, one, when Christ gets a hold of you, you will not stay the same. And so there is a call to be clean. There is a calling out to be holy and different. And, and I think somehow we have gotten our wires crossed on this idea of holiness. We're not called to be perfect. Christ is perfect. We are not called Christ followers to compromise the gospel, but to live in victory and to live in holiness. See, Bar blind Bart was called out and so are we. In fact, there is an appropriate response. I want you to notice the response that, that, blind, Bart, uh, that blind Bart gives uh, and the response of Jesus. Here is the appropriate response that we see in verse 50. Here's the appropriate response. When Jesus calls, we respond immediately. Notice what he does. He throws his cloak off, he sprang up, and he came to Jesus. He didn't say, hold on a minute, I got this thing to go to. Hold on a minute, I got this lunch date I need to go to. No, blind Bart was already broken. He was waiting for his hope. He was waiting for his redemption. Nor did he hesitate. His response was immediate. And I often wonder, why do we drag our feet Self-included, when it comes to serving Jesus. 
it really, it really isn't hard to do. It, it's, a simple, it's a simple proclamation of whether or not we're going to be obedient to him or not. And Jesus said to him, well, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let, let me recover my sight. And by the way, this is the actual response that the disciples should have given. Remember when Jesus asked, what should I do for you? When they asked, one wants to, to rule on the right, the other on the left. Jesus says, before that, what do you want me to do for you? This should have been the appropriate response that the disciples given. Give us sight. I want to see, Lord. Give us eyes to see. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see Jesus. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to have sight. Give us wisdom. Give us special revelation. Not who's going to sit on the right or who on the left in ruling. No, give me sight. Lord, help me see King Jesus. Illumine my mind to your word. Illumine my heart and my mind to your will. Not will I get my way, but Lord, have your way and have your will in my life. I'm afraid that the modern church today has a long and hard lesson to learn about clenching on to idols. Lord, it's your will. It's your way. And so the appropriate response is, give me sight, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. And Jesus said in verse 50, 52, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and he followed him all the way. Bartimaeus became a disciple. I want you to notice what Bartimaeus did once he was healed. He followed Jesus. Now, I, now I know that, that, that uh, not much more is said about blind Bart. And in fact, based on the, on, the, on the following of Jesus, I would say, and his crying out to the son of David, he was just as much led by God to say son of David and cry out to Jesus than Peter who said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Because he followed Jesus. So, who are we today? Are we the blind who have our things in our life who you could say we are blindsided by? Or are we like Bartimaeus who would cry out to God to, to save us? Are we like the disciples who have seen revelation in Jesus, but have somehow got their priorities amiss. Is blind Bartimaeus the example? Is blind Bartimaeus, in this case, the better example over the disciples? The first obvious application, application to life has been mentioned before. Jesus came to call the sinner out of darkness and into his glorious light. In fact, there's a scripture that Peter wrote in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So not only is Peter talking to the Hebrew, the Jew, but he is talking to new believers too. He has called you out of darkness and into his glorious light. And who are we in Christ? Well, we are called to serve and to abide in Him. So can we identify, identify, with, identify with blind Bartimaeus 
certainly. We were blind spiritually, but now we see. But there are also things that I think that we as believers are blindsided by. And these are things that I think are toxic to the church health and growth. And I'm going to share a few of these with you today in closing. I want to share with you eight things that I see as a detriment to the church. And if not challenged as a body, can do irreparable damage. Now I know that even if the doors of a church were closed, that the church of Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, would live on and on and on. But the reality of it, of it is this. If you look at history, if you look even today, there are churches that are closing their doors because Satan has got a foothold in those churches. So I'm going to share with you eight, very quickly eight things that I see as a detriment to the church. Number one, when it is not missional-minded or involved in outreach and discipleship. When a church is not missional-minded or involved in outreach and discipleship, I believe that church is on a downward spiral. Spiral. A church needs to be in outreach and missions at all times. And what I mean by that is you as a neighbor can go to the next door neighbor and tell them about Jesus. And as a church we can say we're going to be involved with these things that proclaim the name of Jesus. And if there is a ministry that does not have missions, that does not have the name of Jesus at its core, I believe we as a church need to evaluate those things. When a church is not missional-minded, it is a detriment to the church. Secondly, it regularly criticizes leaders instead of finding the admirable traits and encouraging those. Here is the reality for the church. A leader who has been called by God into ministry and who is being led by the Holy Spirit of God is doing more good for the kingdom of God than not. If they are genuinely called by God into a ministry, whether it be an evangelist, whether it be a pastor, whether it be a missionary, if they are called by God into a certain vocation, into a ministry within the church, and being led by the Holy Spirit of God, they are doing more good for the kingdom of Jesus than not. And many times we focus on the things that they're not doing. Number three, when its members do not attend regular worship services. See Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. Now I know that we've gone through a year and so of, of COVID scare and all that stuff. But some way we need to be involved with regularly meeting together and worshiping together with the saints of the Lord. In fact, that reference for Hebrews 10 24 through 25 is a command in Scripture to forsake not the assembling together. And in fact, when we see the day of the Lord Jesus approaching, and by the way, the approaching coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is as imminent as it was 50 years ago as it is today. So we look for the coming of the Lord. And as we see the signs of His coming, the Bible says that we meet all the more. Number four, a refusal to volunteer. How in the world is the church going to do ministries and missions when you have 10% of its congregation doing 100% of the work? 
Thinking about the work of Christ, we should not have to browbeat people into serving. You know why? Because if Jesus died on the cross for me, and he died on the cross for you, I'm going to give up some time for him. If Jesus was stretched to the place where his, 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 his sockets become dislocated in his shoulders, and he bore the splinters on the cross, if my Lord done that for me, I can serve him a little bit. Think about that as, as we move into vacation Bible school and Awana and all those things and, and, and serving him some way. Think about what Jesus did and then say, I've reflected on what Jesus has done for me in the sense of the gospel and I'm going to serve him. Number five, the neglect of the youth. And by the way, this is a referral to the whole body. And just because we don't have children, and we're glad, and, and I love what Mr. Dick demonstrated here this morning. Involve the children. But just because you don't have a child or student in youth, any longer or don't have doesn't mean you, we neglect our, our students, our youth. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that we formulate ministries that exclude them. So our people who are serving right now, or whatever you're serving in, and you're the, you're the person over that team, that mission team, that whatever it might be, think about it like this. Are we including our students? Are they being excluded from serving? Number six, encourage more than complain. And by the way, this piggybacks off point number two. It is often baffling to me why some people's gift seems to be that it is complaining. I don't know if that's a gift or not, but where is complaining, and rarely do we find encouragement in these people. Remember the old saying, if you can't say nothing nice, say nothing at all? Or it might be that you can't have a reasonable conversation and discourse. Wouldn't it be great, wouldn't it be nice if you can snap your fingers on occasion and make this come to pass? But I, I say that in love. I do. Because we still need to say, how can I disciple you? How can I be like Christ? How can I still show you love and grace even through the midst of your incessant complaining? Number seven, and this is a biggie. When the church stops taking the Bible seriously, and by the way, there are churches across this landscape today that even recently have split because they have not taken the Bible seriously. Here's a thought, and, and I believe in some time in the future, on occasion, we're going to sing this song, Dig a Little Bit Deeper in God's Word. Okay? It's going to be a song of meditation sometime. I don't know exactly when. As we sing that song, there is going to be a challenge. Do we really mean it? 
Or are we more satisfied with man-centered self-help sermons that sadly many churches today are preaching? I don't need to hear that I can pull my own self up by my own bootstraps because I need Jesus to lift me. Many times the encouragement that you receive is not always, are you doing well in Christ? Or to say, man, you're doing so good in your walk with the Lord. You're doing so great. Although that is a good word of encouragement, sometimes it should be that Jesus is walking with me and sometimes Jesus is leading me, right? Instead of, look how good you're doing in your walk with the Lord. Yes, we need that encouragement, but we also need to know, yes, it is a walk with Jesus. It has nothing to do about my own merit. Because at the end of the day, I know as a worshiper here at Piney Grove that this church is not mine. Now, that might be striking to some of you, but this church ain't yours. It's Jesus' church. It's His. And praise the Lord, He lets us be involved with it on occasion. It's His, not mine. And so we have to have Scripture at the core of all that we do. It is His salvation, not mine. The salvation that I have inherited that is given by Him to me, it is not about me. And the story of Scripture highlights all these facts. If you want the church to survive, if you want the church to, 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 uh, to make it through persecution, if you want the church to, to suffer great spiritual loss, preach fluff. Preach the pithy sayings. Teach the Christianese language. But if you want the church to sustain, preach and teach the word. Number eight, and I close on this. Value personal preference over souls. When did the Church of America stop caring for the lost? When did the Church of America begin to formulate programs within its church that did not include reaching the lost? Church, let me say this to you. Never lose the love and burden for the lost. Never lose the burden for those that are lost. Never say, let me say this to you. Never say that there is no hope for the lost. You know, my God, my God specializes in those who have no hope. So who are you? The blind Bartimaeus who proclaims the need for Messiah... Or are we like the disciples that they have seen the revelation of Jesus and somehow have failed to see it? Are we like blind Bartimaeus in this example? Crying out to God for hope and salvation. And the first application to life is this. Jesus came to call sinners out of darkness and into his glorious, into his glorious light. So who are we today? Who are we? Are we like Bartimaeus who would cry out for the Lord in hope and only he can offer hope? Or are we like the disciples who are a little dull? Or like the crowd who hushed the one who said, who cried out to Christ? Who are we today? The word of the Lord has spoken to you. I want to invite you to pray with me. Let's do that.